You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. That is the Lutheran Public Radio Choir with stanza 8 of the hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. Come to the cross, trust Christ, and live. Well, Christ is gathering people early in the day, late in the day. He's gathering them to labor in his vineyard. And in the end, the wages that are paid are all sheer grace. That's what we look forward to on this coming Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning with Pastor Sean Denzer, and then we'll spend some time with Greg Kokel, founder of Stand to Reason. We'll be talking about using questions to answer the objections of unbelievers. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be here, Todd. We're going to be looking at Matthew 20, 1 through 16. That's the laborers in the vineyard. Is there a connection between this and the propers from this coming Sunday and last Sunday? Well, we're going to have to look for it because it's not just going to be following on last Sunday. A couple things kind of indicate a break between last Sunday and this Sunday. First of all, the epistle changes. We're not in Romans anymore. We're going to go on to Philippians. But the gradual isn't going to change until next week, actually. Uh, So this is still a Sunday in kind of a martyr's tide. If you want to look at the gradual as your indication, this is the last Sunday of that section of the church year here in the summer. Matthew is going to skip a very significant chunk that's actually only covered on the Feast of Paul's Conversion. But thematically, we are going to continue quite naturally from what we had before. We had the theme of mercy and all of the danger of rejecting that in the previous week. And so today we're going to have the parable of the vineyard workers, which is a very significant parable of Jesus, all about grace. And much like last week, it's considering grace kind of on the razor's edge of accepting and rejecting that grace. Now, I mean, even the word accept grace is almost difficult to say because that's the character of grace, that it's undeserved favor and kindness that is shown to us without any merit or worthiness in ourselves. This is what Lutherans are always trying to make very clear is that when we talk about being saved by grace, we don't mean something of God that we're kind of cooperating with or earning from him or collecting in ourselves but rather it's his favorable disposition toward us that is his from start to finish. But we're going to see again, similar to last time, 
the great danger of rejecting this, of taking it for granted, or especially as we'll see today, of grumbling and begrudging God for his grace shown towards others. So much like we had last time that uh, we should forgive as we have been forgiven, here I think today we'll see quite clearly that we should recognize the Lord's mercy on us and therefore be delighted to see his mercy shown to others as well. Let's get into the intro, which is Psalm 160. I'll offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. That's verse 17. And now we'll jump back to verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. So this is a beloved and beautiful psalm. It should be familiar to many because a portion of Psalm 116 is sometimes used as a responsory, especially in Divine Service Settings 1 and 2 in Lutheran Service Book. And we get those passages. These are the traditional passages that are used by the pastor as he is receiving the Lord's Supper himself during the Holy Communion, usually before he goes to distribute to the rest of the congregation. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? I'll take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So this is thanksgiving, obviously, for all of God's gifts, for his grace, his undeserved kindness to us. But notice what the response is. It is that we would delight to receive even more from him, more of his mercy, more of his salvation. This is the proper response of faith, not to say, well, good, I've got a little bit, that's enough, or to seek more because it's something that we're meriting, but to delight in receiving from him and always living on the receiving end. Psalm 116 itself is maybe a little disjointed, and that's only because we know these isolated phrases. So we know the phrase, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We often think of this at All Saints time or at a funeral. Here it kind of stands out maybe like a sore thumb in the middle of all of this, since we've been talking about Thanksgiving and his mercies, not so much about death. But here, I think you should recognize that we're still in this martyr's tide, so it definitely ties our epistle and our gradual together here. What is the collect? Lord God, Heavenly Father, since we cannot stand before you relying on anything we have done, help us trust in your abiding grace and live according to your word, through Jesus Christ our Lord. This seems to be drawn from Trinity 8's collect, which mentions his abiding grace and living according to his word, but it's quite a different translation or paraphrase, actually. It's been tailored, to be sure, to fit our gospel in two different ways. One, that phrase, not relying on anything that we have done, certainly is going to rebuke those who want to boast about bearing the heat of the day, the laborers that came early, and because they'd worked so hard, they thought they would be paid even more by the master. The second one is the phrase abiding grace, which is especially helpful. Obviously, we're going to be talking about this grace and favor of God, but we also want to talk about abiding and remaining with him. We're going to hear at the end of the parable the rather painful words from Jesus, take what is yours and go, go your way, leave. 
That's not what a Christian, what a servant of Christ Jesus wants to hear from him ever. It's not our goal to leave him, but to say just as the apostles did, abide with us, Lord, for it's evening, remain with us. Jesus. So his abiding grace is something that continues and that we will continue in his vineyard, live our whole lives in the shadow, as it were, of his grace. Actually, it's not described as a shadow in the Bible, but as the countenance, the brightness, the shining of his face. Uh, And to live at his word, as it says, that means to continue in what he has laid out for us. And this is modeled for us very clearly in the words of the Lord to those servants that he comes to late in the day. He doesn't promise them particulars. He doesn't negotiate the terms. He simply says, whatever is right, I will give you. And who gets to decide what's right? Well, the Lord does. So you see that that is an invitation to trust that he's going to do right by them, that he's in fact going to be their righteousness. And that's who our Lord is. The Old Testament reading is Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 6. I'll read it first. It's very brief. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Lutheran service book, we're here with the Roman Catholic Church's Old Testament reading, not with the Revised Common Lectionaries. They're using Jonah near the end when when he is begrudging the Lord's mercy, when he is cursing the fact that that vine that had grown up to shade him then went away. Uh, He has no mercy on the people in Nineveh. And I think you can see how that fits well with the begrudging grumbling of those first people at the hour of the day that had no mercy. They had received the Lord's benefits, and they didn't care about his benefits being given to those who came late uh, because they thought it was based on earnings and not on mercy. This, by the way, is the year of Isaiah 55, isn't it? So way back on uh, proper 13, we had verses 1 to 5 of this chapter. Today we get 6 to 9. We also, on proper 10, had 10 to 13. So while our gospel has been running through Matthew relatively chronologically, certainly our Old Testament readings have been all over the place, but especially here in Isaiah. So what does this passage mean? How is it connected with the gospel? Well, I think we hear the master's voice at the end in the Lord's declaration. Your thoughts and ways are not my ways. And the relationship there is mine are incredibly higher and greater than yours. We see this in the characteristic of the Lord's grace, that certainly none of us would pay our workers according to capriciousness or according to our favor. I think it's universal that we pay people for the work that they do, and this is the natural way of things. But notice how the Lord's parable has already set him apart as being not like us, but being quite different than us. And Isaiah explains what kind of difference it is. His ways are greater than ours. It might not quite be a connection with the gospel to hear this phrase, seek the Lord where he may be found. That certainly is not the way the workers in the parable are. They come in at all hours of the day, and in fact, the Lord is going out and trying to gather them in. And yet you do hear a hint of that, of the Lord's urgency when he asks them that question, you know, why do you stand here idle all day? Well, nobody's hired us, right? 
So we shouldn't imagine that the day lasts forever. To come in at the 11th hour is better than never to come in at all. But the time to come in is today, as the scriptures say, as often as it's called today, that's the right time. This is always the call, the nature of the Lord's grace is to abandon our ways, sinful ways, the ways of our corrupt flesh, and to return to the Lord to seek his favor that is abundantly there, chiefly in his pardon and the forgiveness of sins, which then brings us into his kingdom, brings him into his work, and in fact makes our works something that can be truly good. We know that they have our sinful nature behind them. From that perspective, our works are always to be doubted. But when the Lord comes and forgives our sins, when he does not allow these sins to destroy and and corrupt our works anymore, when he's actually forgiven them, then we can call them good works. Then we can be confident that he's pleased with them, not for our sake, but for the sake of his own favor in Christ Jesus. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Moving toward the gospel reading in Matthew 20, the laborers in the vineyard. But next, Psalm 27. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ to altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Jesus walked with his disciples to Emmaus, they had lost hope. But he opened the scriptures, broke bread, and gave it to them, and they knew him. At Emmaus Lutheran Church in Redmond, Oregon, Jesus repeats this miracle every Sunday. He makes himself known among us in preaching and the sacrament of his body and turns our sorrow to joy. Join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9 and visit our website, www.emmauslcms.org. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. The repetition of many of these promises for two more generations, and especially the promise that all the earth's families would be blessed through Isaac and Jacob demonstrate that God was constantly focused 
on saving not only Israel, but also all the world. The story of Israel that has begun in Genesis is not a story simply about one chosen people of God. It also relates to how God is working through Israel to choose many from every nation to be part of the true Israel in Christ. That's from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. Call Concordia Publishing House and order The Messianic Message, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We come to the psalm, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet will I be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. So interesting, Lutheran service book has departed from the Revised Common Lectionary of the Roman Catholic Church, who both have Psalm 145, which is kind of a general praise, a recollection of the Lord who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I think you can see how that fits with the gospel quite well. But what we have here is a great commentary, as the psalm usually is, a commentary on the Old Testament reading and drawing on that first phrase that we didn't give as much attention to, seek the Lord when he may be found, return in repentance and seeking to receive his favor, which alone can satisfy us and can make us righteous. So we hear that in verse 8, seek my face, that's what the Lord said. My heart says exactly that, I am seeking you. This is the one thing that I'm after is to be your servant. Maybe it's a bit of a miss with the great confidence that we see in the first part of the psalm where we're not afraid of the enemies rising up against me. That's not exactly the focus of today's gospel reading or of the Old Testament reading. But the fact that we want to dwell in the Lord's tent, that we want to be in his presence, that we want to receive his grace constantly and continually, this is absolutely the theme both of our Old Testament and the gospel, that this is the most important thing, the one thing needful even, and that we do not want to be turned away in anger. That in particular is a clear connection to the gospel reading. Uh, it's it, That's a Christian response. When we get to see in the parable the laborers in the Lord's vineyard who are rejecting the Lord's mercy, who are begrudging their fellow workers uh, for their wages, and then at the end are, in fact, cast out. So we say the opposite. No, don't turn us away, Lord. Don't say to us, take what is ours and go, but let us remain in your house. Let us delight in your work, because nothing would be worse than to be sent away from him. 
The epistle reading, Philippians 1, some selected verses. Yeah, okay, so we're jumping into the book of Philippians after being in Romans for a long time, and it's kind of disappointing maybe to see that we're not beginning at the beginning. That's because we've we've heard uh, portions of the beginning already in Advent, Advent 2C, in fact, so not this year, but in future years. We'll get to hear that section. And we also omit maybe a somewhat confusing statement. That's what the section in the middle that's gone is, where Paul talks about how he's in prison and others are preaching Christ, some out of rivalry and some out of sincerity. And then Paul says, well, as long as Christ is preached, I'm happy. So what we also, though, miss by uh, omitting that section is the rejoicing. And as many of our listeners will know, the book of Philippians is full of the word joy and is especially speaking about this joy in the midst of suffering. Nevertheless, we do have Paul's statements here, so let's hear them in Philippians chapter 1, 12 to 14, then 19 to 30. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that is to go to jail, to be moving to Rome, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So what we have here is Paul's encouragement to the Philippians not to lose heart over his sufferings. In fact, even to imitate him in enduring those sufferings, and he shows us how a Christian ought to endure them confidently, proclaiming the gospel, letting this be a witness to others and an encouragement to our fellow Christians who may bear the same thing or who may even not be bearing them, and in all things to have joy, as certainly the rest of the epistle will talk about. In the center of this, we have that debate, which is very famous. We have a hymn that starts with this line, right? For me to live is Jesus and to die is gain. And I think this is an especially helpful passage for us because it's the very thought that so many older Christians have. They're wondering, why am I here on earth? It seems like maybe 
I'm near death or I ought to be near death, why is it that I'm remaining in the body? Paul's situation is a little bit different, of course. He's not dying of old age by any means. Uh, And yet what he expresses applies and ought to color our thinking about this question. So Paul knows that there is value in staying around, and the value is not for his sake that he's going to earn all sorts of things by his accomplishments, notice. In fact, it'd be far better to just be with Christ Jesus. Rather, what he is excited about and, and glad to be doing is to remain an apostle, to remain a servant of his congregation and a servant to his fellow Christians, one who can encourage them in their suffering, one who can preach the gospel and spread the name of Christ, one who can do good works for the sake of his master, to serve, as it were, in the vineyard, as our gospel will have. To depart to be with Christ is the goal. And here's where I think we can see slightly a different metaphor, maybe, from what Jesus' parable is, but absolutely connecting. We do not want to leave Jesus. If departing this life means to be even more fully with Christ Jesus, as is certainly the way the after death is described, and ultimately that we are all aiming towards the resurrection at the last day to be with Christ body, bodily forever, That's exactly what we want to do. We want to be with him. We want to remain with him by faith in this life, and we want to be with him forever in the flesh at the resurrection at the last day. That's our goal, whether here or there. And while we are here in this fallen flesh, we are going to be at service to God. We're going to be serving our neighbors. We're going to be encouraging them. We're going to be preaching the gospel and spreading it abroad as Paul was, whether in suffering or in joy, whether in plenty or in want. And I guess I want to take a moment just to look at this 27, 28, 29, because this is such a beautiful summary of Paul's desire for his fellow Christians. It ought to be our desire for each other as well, that our manner of life would be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's a very fascinating phrase. We know that the gospel and the favor of God that we're talking about is what makes us worthy, actually. He invites us in. He counts us worthy. He shows undeserved favor to us. It's our desire to match that. And Paul says this is his desire, too, so we know that this is a godly thing to have this desire to match that, that our manner of life, our walk, our service to God and our neighbor would be fitting and appropriate to the great mercy that he's shown us. I can't help but think but last week's passage, right? If we've been shown great mercy like that first servant who was forgiven, how will we not also go out and show great mercy to our neighbors when they're in need or in debt to us. Here, the focus is much more on bearing suffering and standing firm. What he says is so great that he wants them to stand firm in one spirit, united, working side by side. Think about the laborers in the field, especially in that famous Cronach painting, laboring side by side for the faith of the gospel, that it would be spread to others, that we ourselves would remain in it. And I love the way Paul talks about this, that he wants to hear about them. This is so incredibly comforting to us as Christians, or it ought to be, when we hear about the successes, about the standing firm, even in the midst of suffering that our fellow Christians are bearing up under that suffering, this is a great encouragement to us to hear this, to hear the news of our fellow Christians in their good works, in their enduring faith, in their bearing of suffering for Christ's sake. 
that spreads the gospel where they are. It encourages us to continue on where we are. So I think this letter is very fruitful, and this leads us into our uh, future weeks of Philippians as well. So is there a connection between this epistle reading and the coming gospel reading? Not intentionally, but you see the connections both in the way Paul talks about the service to our neighbors, the working side by side, and notice this is a result of the favor of God, of the gospel of Christ. It's not an earning our salvation by these works, but it's an outcome of what Christ has done. So he says at the end, for the sake of Christ, not only do you believe in him, but you also have the privilege of suffering for his sake. So this is what we should expect as laborers in Christ's vineyard, that we're bearing the heat of the day, not because it's unjust, not because we're trying to earn our way through our sweat and toil, but because he's invited us into a gracious favor, a place in his household. And in fact, it's all undeserved. Therefore, our labors are not for ourselves, but are for the good of this gracious master. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. We'll be into the gradual verse and gospel next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org Pumpkin spice-flavored everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Crucem's mugs, featuring your favorite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses, or Christian humor. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practiced here. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com Keeping the message straight. Getting the message out. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve? Without question. 
Dr. Lawrence Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship Confessional Theology Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ninth stanza of Salvation Unto Us has come, the hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary. We're looking forward to this Sunday. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, take us into the gradual and the verse leading up to the gospel reading. The gradual is the same one that we've been having, and this is the last week we'll have it, from Psalm 34. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous— but the Lord delivers him out of them all. It definitely fits with what we just heard, the afflictions of St. Paul, that he fears God. He's not afraid to stand firm for Christ, even if his body is threatened. He's encouraging his fellow saints not to be afraid. The Lord will rescue you, and that deliverance might even include going and departing to be with Christ. Notice, Paul's confident that either way, whether he lives or he dies in Rome, the Lord will be delivering him through this, and it will work for the good of the church. That is the great confidence that a Christian has. We can't lose heart in our sufferings, but the Lord has us either way. I think it also connects our epistle that we just heard to the previous sections of Matthew that we missed and that we heard in previous weeks, bearing with the persecutions that we face. So everything we're hearing now in Philippians, we should not forget the encouragement that we had from Matthew's gospel previous, especially right before we heard about Peter's stand in his uh, great confession with Christ. It may not connect us very well, though, to our gospel today. So we can just go on to that. And I think we'll have a better connection to the gospel by looking at the verse, which is borrowed from the one-year lectionary as well, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So we'll see both in our gospel reading and our hymn some influence, I think, from the one-year lectionary. This is maybe one of the passages in the missing Sundays that the three-year doesn't have. It's the first of these three so-called jesimas. It's a way of stretching Lent out not just for 40 days, but actually for 70 days, kind of recounting the Babylonian captivity for 70 years in Babylon. But what many have noticed is those three Sundays are about grace alone, about the word of God alone, and about faith alone, 
which are certainly excellent Reformation-connected themes and things that are very important to us as modern Lutherans. We're going to see, starting with this verse, I think, a strong emphasis on grace as we understand it, the undeserved favor of God in Christ that rescues us, that delivers us, that forgives our sins, that receives us into his kingdom apart from any works, and that, in fact, is the only way that true good works can possibly be done. So we have exactly that bottled up in Ephesians 2, that even this Faith is not our own doing, and certainly not this grace. All of it is a gift of God for which we should have thanks and certainly not have the kind of grumbling we're about to see in Matthew. So take us into that gospel reading, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour... He saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. It's a rich parable, and a number of things don't go the way we expect. Obviously, we don't expect equal pay for different work, and neither do the people in the parable. But it's very interesting that the Lord pays them in reverse order. So all of this happens over time, and you can almost see the expectation building, an expectation that the Lord did not lay out, and an expectation that puts the emphasis not only on the way those first workers despise their master, but they despise him because they think so highly of themselves. So they're not cheated in any way. In fact, the details even in the parable that they agreed on something for a denarius a day. Now, maybe that's not such a big, an important or unexpected item. A denarius is a day's wages. It would make perfect sense for them to agree on a day's work and a day's wage. And yet some level of agreement what took place, that everybody knew what the contract was. There were no surprises here. And the Lord does exactly what he says. He gives them a denarius for the day. They think they're going to get more. They think they like his generosity when it seems to bode well for them being better. They're worth it after all. 
but they don't like it when they see it is undeserved. And that's a real problem because then they really do think it's about their works and their earnings and their accomplishments, that the Lord is just as impressed with them as they are with themselves. And finally, they find that's not the case at all. I think we see the details of the master's generosity peeking out all the way even before he starts to pay them because he's going out multiple times in the day when I don't know if he needs more work. That would maybe be the reason to do that, but he's certainly not going to get the most bang for his buck. That doesn't seem to be his interest. He wants to just fill up the vineyard with all sorts of workers. He's going out and he's promising them whatever's right I'll give to you, a beautiful saying, because whatever the Lord determines is right will be great. At least that's what our faith believes. And at the 11th hour, which many people have noticed is right before the end, 12th hour would be 24 hours in the day, right before it's too late, he still goes out and brings them in. And even the little exchange indicates that the Lord's hiring is the key part, far more even than the working. And he just says, go on in, go on in. He doesn't even tell them what they're supposed to do, nor does he agree with them for any particular price. You see his delight is, in fact, to pay. And we see that at the end also in his response to the grumbling workers. He brings up the point that this belongs to him and he can do as he chooses with his money. Now, I suppose we might make the point from that that God is all-powerful. He's the boss. He gets to do whatever he wants. That certainly has a truth to it. And yet, I think we should take a real special attention to he's allowed to choose to do what he wants. And what he wants to do is to be generous. Because recognizing this is to recognize the character of our Lord that makes him quite different than your generic human-invented God. It's not just that he's powerful. It's that he, who is all-powerful, chooses and delights in offering something of himself for us, that he donates freely from his own mercy without our achieving at first, or that he goes out and finds someone to dote on rather than looking for somebody who's worthy of his great, powerful gift. And that's why that last phrase there, 15, or do you begrudge my generosity? And the Greek says, is your eye evil because I am good? Draws the necessary connection that we ought to see and heed this warning. To begrudge the grace of God is in fact to begrudge God's own character of undeserved kindness. Finally, the grumbling workers are not just having a small labor dispute. They're not just being disappointed that they thought they should get a little more. They're actually saying that they despise the master and think he's evil. They think he's evil because he's being kind not only to them but also to others. And this is the deadly attitude, much like what we saw with the unforgiving servant. Your link to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. LCMS Worship is hosting the 2024 Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music. The theme is Songs of Deliverance, Psalms in the Great Congregation. Learn more at lcms.org slash worship. The 2024 Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music, July 9th through the 12th at Concordia University, Nebraska, 
lcms.org slash worship. On the other side, how does this parable drive all of the other propers for this coming Sunday? week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventure in Acts with Eutychus raised from the dead, Paul to the Ephesian elders, parts one and two, Paul lands at Tyre, and Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. Da-da-da-dum. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Issues Etc. regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number... 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about the Messianic message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Casting Christ's Net on the Internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethel Lutheran, Ballinger, Texas. Epiphany Lutheran, Door, Michigan. Grace Lutheran, San Mateo, California. Emmanuel Lutheran, Orange, California. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Eola, Texas. Peace Lutheran, Rapid City, South Dakota. Resurrection Lutheran, Fredericksburg, Texas. St. John Lutheran, Sycamore, Illinois, St. Paul Lutheran, Valley City, Ohio, and Trinity Lutheran, Walton, Nebraska. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast at our website, and in the Issues Etc. Journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. 
We were discussing the gospel reading in uh, Matthew before the break, the parable of the vineyard workers. How does that parable then drive all the other propers? I think it's teaching us something about grace, grace from two aspects. One, the undeserved character of it, the way that the Lord's grace leads us into works rather than the other way around, that we are working to earn God's grace. Obviously, the people who did the most work and deserve the most from the Lord are those first ones, but this is not the way the Lord's kingdom goes. The way the Lord's kingdom goes is he bestows his grace on us, which, yes, makes us productive, but the producing is not what triggers his salvation. In fact, it's his delight to have us with him, and he puts us to work while we're with him. So that's the character of grace, which we as Lutherans are always interested in expressing, that it's undeserved kindness of God toward us, and that it's not a result of our works. But then we also see that it should be delightful to us to see this at work, not only in our own lives, that the Lord has had mercy on us, and we know our sins, we know our failures, we know the pleasures of being in his house, but especially that we see it in our fellow Christians. I just think that's an aspect that we don't often consider. It's easy to become individualistic and think only about salvation between me and God. Certainly, he's calling all of us out of this crooked generation, and so he does that individually. No one can believe and be saved for his brother, right? No one can give his life for his brother, the scriptures also say. But it is our great delight, just as we see elsewhere, where the whole kingdom of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, even more than over the 99 who don't think they need repentance. We also are overjoyed to see this. We ought to look at the favor of others, which, yeah, maybe somebody comes in at the last hour right before they die, or somebody who hasn't put up much of a struggle and maybe seems to have fallen into great sins is nevertheless shown the Lord's mercy. We don't begrudge them because they have somehow not been a Christian as long as we have, or uh, because they had avoided sins, like that Pharisee, right, who says, I thank God that I have avoided all these things. I mean, it's not a bad prayer in and of itself, but if you think it's your own accomplishment, then you despise the Lord's grace. And I think that does fit with the epistle, too, that is so interested in joining Paul's sufferings and Paul's joy with the sufferings and joy of the Christians throughout the world. This is what it means to seek the Lord's face, to live in his kingdom, to seek the one thing needful from which we're brought together with the whole church, to experience not just the ways of this world, but to experience his favor that is truly otherworldly because it's unlimited and entirely undeserved. Let's talk about the hymn of the day, which is Salvation Unto Us Has Come. What do we need to know about it? Well, here's another great connection to, I think, the one-year lectionary in the history of the church, that this hymn has long been sung in connection with this parable. And it helps us to see, I think, the mission, the outreach, and the, the heart of salvation that Jesus is expressing in this parable. To talk about grace is to talk about salvation. It's not to talk about works, earnings, merits. 
in order to sanctify ourselves and therefore earn a place in his kingdom. But it's absolutely that the Lord's invitation goes out favorably. Whereas the parable of Jesus doesn't tell the details surrounding what Jesus has done for us, this parable does that. It starts with the point of grace and favor and God's salvation, which is not by works, those can't save us, but by faith alone in what Christ has done, the one who invites us in. Therefore, now we get to go have the whole story of salvation. When Luther asked for some people to join him in writing German psalms or German hymns, Paul Sparatus was one of the few that actually answered his call, and uh, this hymn is among the first hymns in the first Lutheran hymnal that was ever written. In fact, this is the 500th anniversary next year, 2024, of that first hymnal. There are actually three hymnals, and this is among them. So we have the whole story, and it's fantastic that we get to see both the negative and the positive. So the first story is our condition, lost. We're not focusing so much on being idle, but what can a dead man do? We are dead in trespasses and sins, and there's no way that our efforts can rescue us from this predicament. So the Lord comes and solves it for us. This is what the gospel is, that uh, in verse 5, he fulfills the law's demands on us. Christ comes to do this in our stead, to obey the law for us, to stay the Father's vengeance, and instead to make us pleasing to him for faith's sake. So since Christ has atoned for us and brought us salvation, this then brings us joy and the ability to build on it. And uh, stanza six says, your grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Notice what a difference that is from talking about how we've borne the heat of the day, how we've done so much to earn this, but rather the Christian says, I can't believe the favor that it was totally undeserved. With about 30 seconds, how would you summarize this Sunday? Well, this Sunday is absolutely focused on grace. I would not be surprised if our listeners heard something about grace, and that would be right, to hear particularly about how grace is God's undeserved favor, and that the Christian's delight is to seek that from him always, that it is entirely undeserved. For this, we give him thanks and praise, and that our work then in his kingdom is a delight of remaining with Jesus. That may never be done until finally our life is done, but we know that everything that is needful for our salvation has been accomplished. To be in his vineyard is the delight, and God forbid that we should begrudge that to anybody else who receives this great undeserved favor just as we have. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks. You're welcome. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., we're going to talk about using questions to answer the objections of unbelievers. Greg Kokel, founder of Stand to Reason, will be our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., 
is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The Grace of God, the Church's music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org. You're invited to October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. October Fiesta features authentic Mexican cuisine, desserts from Cruda Bakery, a festive mariachi band, and of course, plenty of Mexican beverages. Tickets are $25. Proceeds benefit St. Paul Lutheran School, the only classical Lutheran school in greater St. Louis. Learn more at school.stpaulhamill.org. October Fiesta is sponsored in part by Ernst Heating and Cooling, Vallow Floor Coverings, Seavers Equipment, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, Baker Construction, Bunker Hill Chiropractic, and Lutheran Public Radio. October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. School.stpaulhamill.org. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website withangelsandarchangels.org.